we have made a conscious effort to focus on the resident because if the resident takes care of the community, the community takes care of the company, the company takes care of the investors and me. Hi, welcome to Ready to Scale Season 3. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. I'm a real estate investor, syndicator, and operator of multifamily properties. And in this season, we're going to focus on dialogues that drive success. Building real wealth is not a fairy tale nor rocket science, but there's so much to learn. So grab a cup of coffee and join me each week for in-depth conversations with successful real estate investors. Conversations that are designed to help you drive your wealth, investment, knowledge, and lifestyle to the next level. And of course, you can always go to my website, elliperlman.com, to read more about investing passively in multifamily. So today I'm speaking with Bruce Wallet. So Bruce is, you know, he's an owner of Bakerson, which is a multifamily property. You know, they've owned properties over 18 years now. And Bruce has been involved in all aspects of the business, from operations to acquisitions, equity raise, legal, you know, a lot that goes into running a multifamily business. And syndication, of course, is also a big part of it. And interestingly enough, you know, his focus is providing shelter to his tenants. And it's something that is very interesting because especially, you know, during COVID, that could be maybe a double-edged sword. Because if you're providing shelter to tenants, can they pay the rents? I think this is something that I'm, you know, personally very interested in hearing. And with that, I want to welcome Bruce to the show. Hey, Bruce. Hey, thanks for having me on, Ellie. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So we're both in the multifamily, you know, business and we're both dealing with COVID. I mean, you've been around the block, you know, longer than I've been, you know, 18 years ago, I was probably in college or something. While I was in college, you were already buying real estate, which is pretty amazing. If you don't mind, right before we started recording, you actually shared with me that you have nine grandkids. Yes, and number 10 on the way. Yes, nine grandkids, 10 on the way. Been married for 29 and a half years, six children, one son, and he has five sisters. So, wow. <laughs> we keep everybody busy three married and two left at home. So, wow. Well, that's quite an accomplishment. <laughs> no, it's pretty exciting. We're big on family. And in fact, we even have a family business. I have a son in law and a brother in law that work for me. But the beauty behind what we do is we separate business and, and pleasure. So I do a lot with my family, but when we're doing stuff outside of work, we don't talk about work. We talk about uh, some of our other hobbies, which we'll get into later, but some of the other passions that we have. But when we're at work, we talk about work. We don't bring our home drama to work. We don't bring our work drama to home. And it's been a, it's been a fun journey. And it's something that I've, I think I've learned to do pretty well. If nothing else, we're able to keep those separate uh, to the non-family members that work with me, who I say are adopted. You know, they appreciate that we make decisions at work. We don't make decisions at, about work at home where they're not involved in the decision-making process. That's beautiful because it's so hard to do. I know that my family is involved in my deals. It's really hard to sit around, you know, dinner table and not talk about what just happened with the latest acquisition. It's really hard to kind of turn it off and say, oh, and this is just, you know, family time right now. It's pretty remarkable that you're able to do it. And, you know, I think that I can understand a little bit better how you see your business and how you see your tenants. And, you know, we had a little conversation before we started recording and basically 
you know, your company's slogan is creating communities out of apartments and unity out of chaos. And I think it's really interesting that you chose that. What exactly are you trying to create with the acquisitions that you're making? Are you targeting a certain tenant base that you're trying to help? Because I'm assuming that, you know, on one hand, I think the slogan shows the heart and the center of your company. And then on the other hand, you know, it could be a double-edged sword, right? Because if you're trying to provide shelter, the tenants, are they able to pay rent, especially now, you know, during COVID? No, those are all great observations. And it's, it is a challenge at times for us to bring our match, especially through a third-party property manager. But the one that we're using, or the few that we've used in Tucson have been very good at sharing the core values. And the residents that we reach out to are self-paying, lower-income residents. So they have jobs at the local convenience stores, retail, uh, they could be in construction. And what I say is our focus is the permanent resident, one who may never own a home, but would like to live in one. And to me, the biggest crime in multifamily is the way that many property owners treat their residents. Just because the property owner may be wealthy and have a pretty good life, he thinks he or she, typically it's a he, but there's one major slumlord that we've been buying properties from that is, is a woman as well, but it's, it's not as common, especially in the slumlording. But they treat the residents as second-class citizens, and they take advantage of them when they can. And to me, that's, that's a crime, not, not a civil crime, which is, you know what I'm talking about. It's just not right. And so when I see that happen, it bothers me enough that we have made a conscious effort to focus on the resident because if the resident takes care of the community, the community takes care of the company, the company takes care of the investors and me. And we have a very, very, very simple requirements for our residents. One, they live in peace. Two, they pay the rent. That's it. Live in peace, pay your rent. And when I walk the properties, they know that I'm the owner. They'll ask me sometimes, like, oh, are you the owner? And and you know, I'll tease them. No, I'm the photographer. You know, I have my tripod with my phone on there and I'm doing videos or something else. No, I'm the cameraman for the company. And oh, really? And I tease, no, I'm really the owner. But they always have always gets positive feedback from them. And the property managers sometimes are afraid when I'm gonna come down because they're like, Well, you know, what are you gonna say to the residents? I said, it should be that what are the residents gonna say to me? Because if they're gonna say something to me that I should know and you're keeping it from me, that's a problem. And so they don't always, in the beginning, it's been a challenge because they do struggle with that. But yeah, the permanent resident is the one that we focus on. And, and it's not a negative thing. We just know that the workforce, the blue collar, are primarily renters. And there's a lot of people that are even extremely wealthy that rent. But our focus is those that may never own a home, but would like to live in one. I mean, that's one of our pillars too. We have five pillars, which we can get into later, but one of our pillars is permanent resident. Yeah, I hear you 100%. You know, one of our acquisitions last year, we discovered that we were buying from a slumlord. We didn't know it at first. And then we realized that tenants have been living without an AC in the heat of Georgia for six to nine months. And I'm not saying that if the tenant doesn't pay you that you shouldn't be taking care of, you know, the basic necessities such as gas and electricity, but they were good paying tenants. And, you know, the landlord just decided to save some money and thought that, it didn't make sense because he's going to, you know, sell the property in six, eight months. And all of a sudden we're, you know, we discovered, and it's a great property and it's cash flowing wonderfully, but I was trying to wrap my head around anyone deciding, you know, going to sleep, knowing that 10, 15 people in their community are without AC and it's 90 degrees outside. You know, this is something that 
absolutely wrong. And, you know, it's, it's good. It's pretty refreshing to hear someone talking about, you know, created a company and I have some values that are, we're sticking to it because if, you know, very quickly, once you start making money, it's really hard to stick to certain values because, you know, the money is good. The money is enticing and you're focused on making more money for your investors, for yourself. I think it's natural. It's really hard to say, wait a minute, I'm okay making less because I want to be a good landlord. And sometimes there's things you have to do. And sometimes there's things you don't have to do. And I have a feeling like your company is, is, you know, falling into that second category where there are a lot of things you don't have to do the most you know, landlords don't do. And, you know, you, you still do that because you think this is the right thing. Like your slogan says, you know, creating unity out of chaos. What's the chaos? That, that's kind of the interesting part. What's the chaos part? That's the most exciting part. You know, people say they're looking for the diamond in the rough. You know, you've heard that saying, and we're looking for the rough and the diamond. But what I mean by that is, is we have a neighborhood where let's say they're all C properties and there's one D, D minus F, whatever it is. It's just horrible. I look around and say, okay, there's our competition. We need to bring it up to that level. What do I need to do to this property to bring it up to the level of the other properties in the community? And so we always target the worst property in any given neighborhood. And that's the one that we work to purchase. So it's a lot different approach than other people. It's been more difficult the last 12 to 18 months because there's not a lot of inventory, but it'll come back. You know, right now the deals are slow. So, but when we target that, we go in and we know what we can do. And we've had at multiple occasions in Glendale and a couple of times now in Tucson where the police department, the police officers have asked that, why in the world did you guys buy this property? In the last one we bought in Tucson, or we're not the last one, one before last, after we closed down and they seen some changes, he went to the property manager and said, we are so happy that these guys bought the property because what they're doing is what's needed to be done here for a long time. And they were like thanking us. They stopped by just to tell the property manager that they really appreciate what we did. That was pretty powerful. I said, okay, now it's worth it. That was worth it. But you had mentioned something that sometimes the cost, the perceived cost is high. The thing that I would challenge the listener to understand on this is that upfront it looks like a cost, but the largest cost to a property owner is vacant units. And I ran the math. I built a spreadsheet on vacant units and they don't pay any bills. So if you could cut back on turnover by treating the resident correctly and getting long-term, you know, the, the math that I use, let's say you have a one-bedroom unit in Tucson at $700 a month, and they're a resident for five years, they have paid you $42,000. That's a pretty significant amount of money. I don't care who you are. So why can't you do that? And what really turned the light on for me is when I went to the Apple store a number of years ago, 2006, I think, and I bought a bunch of Mac computers, and all of a sudden I got a call from a business rep that said, hey... I'm a business rep. I'm assigned to your company, all because I spent at that time probably eight, nine thousand dollars on computers. Apple's a trillion dollar company today. They were, you know, it's it's amazing. But yet, as soon as you hit a certain threshold, they call and they give you these special rewards. And they're not about savings on the cost, but they give you service, bring you know, training, whatever. And I said, hey, we could adopt that in properties. And we started in single family doing that, and then now in multifamily. So it was something that I noticed when I had an experience that I really enjoyed. And I said, how can I pass that experience on to our customers who are the residents? And so that's where that came from. What do you do exactly? A few of the things that we've done is, first of all, the response time in really fast time, there's a response on their work orders. If there's a work order that's sitting there that's unsettled that we find out about, 
the property manager is going to get an earful that, hey, this is not acceptable. If they have a leaky faucet or a leaky pipe in their unit and it doesn't bother the resident and they tell the property manager and the, we find out through whatever means that, hey, it's, it's happening, then that's a problem. Once they have a work order, it's got to be addressed, at least responded to within a 24-hour period and then addressed in the most timely manner you can. And then the other thing that we've done a few times is community events where we would bring in a food truck and we wouldn't pay for it. We would have the residents pay, but we'd organize, bring in the tables. We brought police officers, community action officers. We brought some local representatives from government that came to one of the properties and we had the picnic tables out and the food truck came and people bought their own food. And then we supplied, you know, some Pepsis and some waters and things like that. And they were like really excited. Like that just, I remember months later we walked by and someone says, Hey, I remember you, I met you at that community event. That was really fun. And that's all it was. And then we had a drawing where, where people could win something. And so, and then they had to be present to win. So it was pretty fun. So things like that in class C is unheard of, but it really didn't cost us, but a couple hundred dollars for us, but the food truck got a bunch of business and the residents got to meet us and the community action officer and the, and the other uh, police officer from the area. So it was really a fun event. And we've done that multiple times. You're actually going to the to those events, you actually meet with the tenants? Yeah, when they have them, we actually go. Usually four of us from our property. That's pretty interesting because I know most owners, including myself, we're trying to separate ourselves from the tenants in a way that you know we want the property management to be the face of the company, to be the one who's interacting with them. I think you know when I walk, you know, and I walk my properties all the time, probably every two months on average, at least, and one of us is going to be there. I don't know if I would feel comfortable, you know, walking my property and just chatting with tenants and knowing that I'm the owner. I think that, you know, I'm concerned that they're going to, you know, search my name or my company's name and then figure out that, you know, we're this, this company that owns a lot of properties and I don't know, maybe it will change their behavior. So it's kind of, you know, you want to be, you want to maintain that, you know, separation for the most part between you and the tenant. But it sounds like in your case, they're actually, you help creating that sense of community when they actually know who the owner is and not maybe creating some sort of a bond or a feeling of commitment to actually pay the rent. And have you noticed any difference between how your properties are performing in terms of collections versus other equivalent properties that may not have you know, the same values or the same connection between you know, the tenants and the owners? Yeah, we've been collecting over 93, 94% through COVID. And then this month was catch up on one of the properties. We just got our financial reports and they collected 128% wow. <laughs> of the potential rent. So they've got caught up on people that were behind for the last few months. And we only have one resident right now who is filed under the CDC and is not cooperating under the CDC's guidelines, but all the rest of them have been cooperating. We have really good collections. So I believe that's part of it. And I just spoke to a property management company in Sierra Vista, and we got to visiting about that Sierra Vista south of Tucson and looking at properties there. And she was talking about how the collections are around 90% across the Sierra Vista community, but she said they're at 98%. So they mirror what we're at. And I said, that's good because we have been 100% a few months, but you know, with late fees and other things. But typically, it's been in the 95, I think, to 98, all the way through COVID. In fact, 
April, May, and June were better than January, February, March, which was really, really surprising. We are bracing ourselves for this and unnecessarily because it didn't happen. So that's that. But the other thing about walking the property is there's little, little things that make it worth it for me. And I have this little things that I hang on to, the experiences. The first property that I bought in multifamily six years ago that we bought and repositioned was a 64 unit apartment building. We were there, we already owned it. We we're setting up our plans, the remodel and all that. And as we were visiting, I seen this elderly lady carrying her bag, which was one of those portable carts that people use for like hauling their bag across the airport or flight attendants use are really small. And she was struggling getting this tiny bag up the steps. So I ran over there and ran it up the stairs and and got to the top and, and she thanked me for it. And I said, oh, what's your name? She says, it's Dottie. I said, oh, Dottie, so, so you live here? And she says, yeah, I do. I said, you like it? She said, oh, I love it. But when I came here, I asked them to put me on the first floor and they put me on the second floor and it's so tough. I'm elderly, I'm a widow. And she was like 93 years old. And, and I said, oh, that's too bad. Let me see what I can do. And I ran down, ignored the meeting, went to the property manager and said, Alex, we have to get Dottie on the first floor. And I told him the story. He said, oh, we can do that. So that was done. And then months later, I was at the property doing a, you know, as we finished it, we we're doing an inspection and I hear somebody, sir, sir. I turn around and here she is, this tiny lady, probably five foot tall, you know, 85 pounds. She says, I just wanted to thank you. Not only did I get a ground floor unit, but I got a brand new remodeled one. And I, she's so happy. And I said, you know, that little bit that I did in that few moments had a big impact on her. The other people ignored it. And so what I'm trying to get, then guess what? They weren't ignored anymore. When Alex heard about that, he made sure that people were listened to. And all of a sudden, a sense of community comes around. Where if I would have told Alex to go take care of that, it wouldn't have been the same as the way that it happened. And the same thing happened at a property in Tucson. And, and you know, I got this situation after situation. So it is unique and it is, you do make yourself vulnerable. And you have to be comfortable with that. And if you're not, that's okay. I don't begrudge anybody that runs their business differently. This is my business. This is how I run it. If you want to run it the way you, you say that's, to me, that's totally fine because I know you're not a slumlord, so that doesn't bother me that you keep that, that separation. And there's value to that. I totally agree with you. There's value and security in the sense of disconnection so that the property managers can be the face. I totally understand that. And so it's just that I'm different. That's all. A little weird. <laughs> Not that you're weird, but it's just a different way. You know, you like that interaction. I think the key is comfort level, right? You're comfortable walking your property and engaging, you know, tenants. And I would love, you know, I, I do ask them, you know, if they love living here, if they have any feedback, I don't tell them who I am, just assume I'm working, you know, I'm part of the, the management company. When COVID started, we actually sent those who lost their jobs some, some Walmart gift cards. And I think I would have felt a little bit awkward if I would, you know, talk directly to someone who lost their job and living on the property. And they got, you know, because it's a little bit, I wouldn't say charity, but it's not something that, you know, I, I'm having a hard time receiving gifts. So I think I wouldn't want to put them in an awkward position. It is exciting, I think, to see how you take a certain property and you know how people are being treated and you make it just, you just improve their lives. And that's what you do. And it's direct impact on, you know, their lives. And I think there's a lot of satisfaction, whether you're chatting with them and saying, yeah, I own this place, you know, and you feel comfortable with it or, you know, whether you do it, you know, through your property management company. I wonder, you know, at the beginning you said, that you're looking for a rough and a diamond. Is it still the case during COVID? Because, you know, things changed and, you know, you're doing great during COVID, but other 
C and D properties are not doing so well. Some of them, you know, are struggling with high vacancies and high, you know, bad debt, which, you know, to our listeners, bad debt is basically when, when rent is not paid, it's delinquent, you know, it's late. And when, usually when you cannot collect it, it's becoming bad debt. It usually happens when a tenant skips and, you know, you can hire companies to find them and charge, but it's very rare that it happens. Usually when someone skips. They're gone. <laughs> yeah, they're gone. Exactly. I didn't know it was even an option. You know, before I owned a property and, and faced it for the first time, I never thought, because I was a tenant once, never crossed my mind that it's actually a viable option just to skip in the middle of the night. And it does happen, unfortunately. It has changed how we're pursuing our properties because the other side of it is we are moving from a buy, fix, and sell to a buy, fix, and cash flow model. When I sell a property, I don't get satisfaction. It's just the satisfaction comes with the ownership. And the sale is good for us and good for the investors. And I get all that, but that's really not where I'm going long-term. So my goal is, is basically maybe, I wouldn't say never sell, but to buy for cash flow. And then in a future date, when it makes sense, we would sell or trade up to another property. So we are making that transition. And with that, we're still looking for underperforming assets. So if there's people that are struggling right now financially, that we'd be a buyer. The challenge is as soon as something comes on the market in Phoenix and Tucson, it's insane amount of activity. So we're trying to find things off market, but that just almost doesn't exist right now because the brokers feel it's their responsibility to bring things to market to maximize the return they get for their seller. And then me being the buyer, I want to buy it as low as possible. So I'm looking for those that are having pain points and I guess we wait, but we're making, we're making offers. We've got a few LOIs out right now that are potentials in Arizona. So, but they're a little bit different. They're not the rough properties. And that's, we bought the last property we bought a year ago. Wasn't that property either. A 90 unit in Tucson was not rough. It, it has opportunity. There's, there's value add, but it's certainly not the worst in the neighborhood. It's not the best. It's very middle of the road, but the numbers made sense. So although that's our, our dream, in the meantime, we're going to buy good assets that have good value. Yeah. It's better, I think, than do it the other way around where your core, you know, strategies to buy class A or B, you know, nice B assets. And when you don't find them, you buy D assets because I, you know, I think that dealing with, you know, C and D assets, you just need a different mindset, different strategy altogether. And B and A there, and you see it also with property management companies, those that run class A buildings, the high rises, the beautiful new buildings, they usually don't know how to officially operate the C asset. It's just different. You know, their, their expenses are usually a lot higher than what you need to do with a C or, or a D class. So I think if, if you know how to operate a C class, it will be easier to move, you know, from C and D to move to B and A classes. But to do the, you know, vice versa, I think that would be, you know, probably much more challenging. Well, and most people that I've talked to that have invested in A and B will not invest in C. They'll hold their money because they're scared of it or they're uncertain. But for me, I'm intrigued by class A. You know, the, the new development, the Metro A and these, these buildings that have gone up in Phoenix and Scottsdale have been just phenomenal. And I, like, I don't know how people can take a vacant piece of land and build this absolute beautiful building. To me, that's so foreign. But then I look at what they've done. I said, hey, I could take some of those things and apply it to our properties in class C. Nobody else is doing that. For a while, we were, we were gray and orange and it popped and no, every in Tucson was doing earth tones and here comes this gray and orange owner. And in fact, I got a call two weeks ago, a guy said, hey, I know who you are. You guys had those orange buildings in Tucson. 
He said, that was a good idea. And so we stood out a little bit just to be different and make it a little more modern. So that to me is what I like about class A and B, but B is easier to understand. But class A, I, I don't see how they do it. Those people are, to me, are absolutely phenomenal dreamers. And I just love seeing what they do. And then I take little tidbits and say, hey, I can borrow that and put, it, get, put that in our property, USB ports in the kitchen or in the living room. That's a class A thing. And all of a sudden, now everybody needs it. And it's, it's very inexpensive. And yet people, the residents will notice that, hey, we got USB ports. We can just plug it in. We don't have to find that block that gets lost or the kids take it in their room. <laughs> yeah. But just give me an idea to actually look at the services that I provide. I've looked into it before. You know, they have yoga classes. They have, they're cutting deals, you know, with dog walkers or, and again, it depends. Not every CRD property can actually pay for those. But if you can finance, how expensive is it to do once every week, once every two weeks? Of course, you know, post-COVID, you know, kind of a yoga class for tenants. How much does it cost? $50, $70? It's really, we're not talking about a lot of money. And I actually will go back. You just gave me a good idea to go back to class A's and look at all the services that are providing and see what I can borrow that actually does not you know, it doesn't cost that much. Like you said, you know, USB ports, it's easy to do. It's really not a big deal. Another thing that we did at one of our properties in Tucson, which was really fun, is we had dozens of G movies for kids, DVDs, and they would come in and they would borrow them and they would go back to their apartment and they'd have to check them out and they go back to the apartment. They come in, they want three. No, you can have two. No, we want three because we've been there when the kids were there and they go back and watch them, but they're all very you know, general, very safe. We're not promoting anything so the kids don't get the wrong information. And that was really, really big for certain families because they didn't have Netflix. They didn't have other online capabilities at home as children, but they were maybe 10, 12 years old, home alone while their parents were at work. And they would come into the property. Maybe they're older than that, but they were certainly not adults. And so they would come in and, and family unit, you know, three, four kids would come in to get the borrowed DVDs, sign them out to their room number. We knew who they were and they would take them. And that was really popular. And another thing that was done at one of our properties was a treasure hunt where we property manager painted a bunch of the rocks green and then he would, he would hide them out there. And then he would tell them, can you find this? And they said, yeah, they could find that, you know, they did these things and they come back and get rewards. And then halfway through, he says, okay, now everywhere you went, did you guys see any trash out there? And they said, oh yeah, we've seen some. Would you go pick it up and bring back whoever brings back the most gets a prize. So they'd go out there with their garbage bags and clean up the trash in the alleyway on the side streets. And then he hid one gold one in there and they got this plastic pot full of black pot with uh, little gold chocolate coins. And whoever found that gold one, well, we found out some of the kids were cheating because they were doing it during the day when they're supposed to be at school. So then it wasn't put out until two. And if it wasn't found, it was taken in by dark so that they couldn't, they were skipping school to play this game. But these kids were all competitive, having fun. But just little simple things like that have been really fun to see. And we just tell the property manager, be creative, find something fun to do. And some communities will support that. Other ones, it's not as feasible. It's a too busy of a street or something. You don't want kids running around by the street. But anyway, just some ideas that we've done that it give a sense of community that we've seen. Some of those have come from our property managers too. Yeah, that's phenomenal. I mean, it, you don't need a lot of money to improve you know, the community aspect to make sure that your tenants are having fun and enjoy their stay there. So I'm definitely going to take some of your ideas. And I already, I already know what I'm going to discuss on the phone with our property management company on the next call, you know, because we were, you know, brainstorming what we can do during COVID to entertain the tenants and keep everyone, you know, safe and healthy. 
but yeah, hey, that was a really you know good conversation. I, I really appreciate it. I definitely took some notes and I'm going to implement some things, you know, in my business. And so we have arrived to the lightning round questions. Oh, boy. <laughs> yes. Brace yourself. Okay. So what's your favorite hobby? And I have a feeling it's going to have something to do with a family, but I'm going to let you answer. Mountain biking. You do it by yourself or do you, your family's joining you? Yeah. My son and son-in-law come sometimes, but I go five to seven days a week. I'm out every morning. Wow. I've been under the headlight the last week or so because it's dark. But yeah, mountain biking is by far my favorite hobby. Wow. Wow. All right. And what's the one thing that people usually don't know about you? Well, my dream is to own a bike store. <laughs> well, you can definitely do that if you're going to have time. And what do you wish that you had known when you first, you know, started buying multifamily, you know, 18 years ago? Well, I started multifamily six years ago, but single family 18 years ago. What I wish I would have known is the power of leverage and the power of partnerships. I didn't realize until later, you know, until I got into this, how much you could do with the power of relationships in, in a very positive way. So I reach out to other, find mentors, don't try to do it alone. That's my advice or yeah. my opinion, I should say. So you already answered the next question, which is what's the number one advice that you have to, you know, real estate investors who want to scale their portfolio, scale their businesses. Like you mentioned, just get a mentor and, you know, have someone that can teach you basically how to do it so it you can succeed, you know, faster and you can avoid some mistakes. You can avoid all of them. Along the way, you will make some mistakes, but you can avoid some of them. That would be worth it. That's my philosophy, at least. You have to make them. If you don't make them yourself, you don't learn. It's, it's hard to learn from other people's mistakes, so you have to make some yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I think every real estate investor, sponsor, syndicator can write a book about all the lessons that they've learned because there's no program or school that can teach you because, you know, real estate, it's just life happening to your property. You can't really teach someone for all the different variables and, and things that, you know, could happen. It makes your life very interesting, sometimes stressful, but you always learn and you become smarter and then you've you know, encounter a new situation and you get even smart, you get even smarter. But yeah, absolutely. So Bruce, where can people find you if they want to reach out to you and, you know, talk to you about investing, real estate, anything like that? Well, there's a couple of ways. Email bruce at bakerson.com, B-A-K-E-R-S-O-N. And I wanted to mention, I'll mention it now, I grew up in the bakery business. So I tell people I'm a son of a baker. I'm an SOB. So, <laughs> so Yeah. But yeah, Bruce at Bakerson.com. And then they could also call or text me at 520-808-9111. And I put the challenge out to your listeners to reach out. I've been on multiple podcasts and recordings and, and people do reach out. So if you have questions, by all means, reach out to me, text me, call me, email me. It'd be great to be in touch with your listeners. Awesome. And we're going to have all the contact information in the show notes so you can just scroll and, you know, ha see everything there. So it's going to be pretty easy. Well, Bruce, thank you so much again for your time. It's been a really fun conversation. I definitely learned, you know, I learned something almost from every guest, you know, that I bring, not from all of them, but I definitely took some, you know, some things from this conversation that I'm going to implement. So I, I appreciate you adding value to my business as well. And I'm sure that the listeners, you know, there were a lot of gold nuggets throughout the 
conversation. So thank you again. And for you, the listeners, I hope that that was interesting, engaging, and added value to your business, to your education. Be bold, be great, and keep moving forward. And I'll see you in the next episode. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.